0: Welcome into a brand new episode of 300 Yards to Unknown. I'm Rick Gaiman coming to you from Blue Wire Studios at The Wynn, Las Vegas. And today we talk about the Memorial Tournament Preview, data research, maybe a few trends. Who knows? We've been doing these early previews to, I think, some decent acclaim. If you like what you hear, let me know, certainly. And hopefully uh, we're doing some of that early research, getting it out of the way. And hopefully we remember... The types of things that we learned by the time it comes to put our wagers in, make our fantasy lineups, all that fun stuff. I'll admit, as I record this, Harold Varner III playing pretty well. Playing pretty well at the Charles Schwab Challenge. Maybe we can find a way to get him across the finish line. That'd be fun. A little sweat action. Let's get it from HV3. But this week, we're going to Dublin, Ohio. Mirfield Village, Jack's Place. This is one of his crown jewels right remember the visual of them following the final groups in 2020 ripping up all the greens putting the, the the big redesign in place we'll talk much more about that as we get into the course breakdown but I want to start with kind of a state of the tour because we are a dozen events left something like that in in the PGA Tour schedule we're going to get to the playoffs before you know it we still have two major championships coming this is time to sprint this is no longer a marathon it's no longer the fall portion of the schedule in which these guys are deciding whether they need FedEx Cup points or not they need them now's the time to rack them up now's the time to position yourself because remember i know it feels like it's a long time away but it's not the tour championship we're going to have the staggered start again. The FedEx Cup points that you earn right now going to determine your positioning for the Tour Championship and what we've learned from that where you start is kind of where you finish. There have been guys that have struggled who have started at 5 under par and and floundered, but generally speaking the guys that start near the top are going to finish near the top and the guys that start near the bottom are going to need a heroic type of campaign to get themselves up the leaderboard and make themselves some more cash. So those points very, very critical right now. Speaking of FedEx Cup points, put this into perspective. With a dozen tournaments to go, Scotty Scheffler has already accumulated 2,800 plus FedEx Cup points. That's before you add in whatever happens at the Charles Schwab Challenge. I don't know. That is still to be determined for me. But he's earned 2,800 FedEx Cup points. That's the same amount of FedEx Cup points that Cam Smith had entering the tour championship last year. Think about that. 12 events to go, two major championships to go, uh, two playoff events before the tour championship, where there are a ton of points to be earned. And Scotty Scheffler already sitting with the fifth or sitting at the total that Cam Smith had when he started fifth last year. Kind of has it locked up right? The worst that Scotty Scheffler is likely to start the tour championship is five under par. So we are tracking towards Scotty Scheffler being our tour champion. Obviously, a lot of rounds to golf to play, a lot of work to do, even if he starts at 10 under par, but it seems like we're on that path. I will say this because I saw these odds a couple of weeks ago and a couple of months ago. Um, Before the PGA Championship, Scotty Scheffler was a heavy favorite to be the money list winner. And he is still a heavy favorite to be the money list winner. But if you have access to a site that offers you this rest of the season prop, looking into Justin Thomas to win the money list I think is really interesting. Uh, He's won the money list like three out of the last five years. He probably would have won it again a couple of years ago if he didn't get hurt at the Honda Classic. He's just a big-time money maker. And he just added... 2-point-something million dollars to his total. He's got two, champion, two major championships to go. He's got the, the, the playoff events. I, I wouldn't be surprised. See what number you can get on it. See if you can get it 10-12-1 to 1 for Justin Thomas to win the money list. Bryson DeChambeau, on the other hand, we've got Scotty Scheffler already basically tying himself to fifth or better of the tour championship. And Bryson DeChambeau, who has 40, 40 points, not a typo, 40 FedEx Cup points. He's in 219th in the FedEx Cup standings. That's the same number as Mark Hensby and Jason Duffner. Now, obviously, a lot of Bryson's struggles have hopefully been because of his injury. And we'll talk more about whether or not he is going to tee it up uh, this week in just one second. Still TBD, whether he'll be battling it out at Mirfield Village. But he has never finished outside the top 50 in his career. So we are obviously very far away from that coming to fruition, even struggling to make the playoffs here. He's got he's got work to do, and he's got a little bit of time to do it. So there's a chance that we get to the FedEx Cup playoffs and we do not have Bryson DeChambeau in those playoffs. He was, you know, I know we don't talk a lot about season-long fantasy. He was top five in basically every season-long fantasy league. He was um, highly considered in a lot of pools and a lot of major pools, things you had to set before the year started because of... The upside, obviously, getting him at a U.S. Open venue would be awesome. Currently ranked 219th in FedEx Cup standings. And then the big mover this week, Cam Young. Cam Young, now 30th in the official world golf rankings, started the year at 134th. One of the biggest movers, improved his official world golf ranking by 100 spots. And he has done that without a victory. I would imagine. That if we go back at the end of the year and we look at the biggest movers in the OWGR, assuming that Cam Young continues to play well, but not well enough to actually capture a trophy, he's probably going to be the biggest mover of all the guys who didn't win in the year. You're know, you going to have guys on the European Tour who made big jumps. You're going to have guys on the PGA Tour like Cam Smith. Cam Smith has made uh, a significant move. I think he's gone from like 22nd to 5th at the time that I'm recording this, but that's with victory. To do it without winning says you are contending, you are competing, and you're doing it A lot, and you're doing it in big events. For all the conversation around Cam Young being a bomber, being unbelievable with his driver, which he is, very good around the greens. Decent putter. So I think we are in store for uh, Cam Young to be our Rookie of the Year and to be a big-time mover when it comes to the official World Golf rankings. Maybe he makes a little bit of noise in the FedEx Cup playoffs. We'll see. We're not that far away. Mirfield Village the Memorial. I say it week in and week out. (laughs) I said it last week staple on the PGA Tour schedule. It really is because this event uh, Jack's event has been held what 28 30 years in a row. Mirfield Village is the place that we're we're going back to and you have seen some big time winners. This is no uh, get lucky and win yourself a memorial. Patrick Cantlay won it for the second time in 2021. That was not without a little bit of controversy. Uh, if you remember John Rahm was going for back-to-back titles, looking to defend his crown at the Memorial. Had to withdraw due to COVID with a six-shot lead going into the final rounds. We all remember that scene, Greenside. So Patrick Cantlay outduels uh, Colin Morikawa in a playoff, getting those two back into the mix after the WD. Cantlay wins his second. He also won it in 2019, John Rahm in 2020, Bryson DeChambeau in 2018. Basically, the first big win of Bryson's career looked a lot different than he does now. Skinny Bryson, right? Skinny Bryson, he was wearing the, uh, the, the funky cap that he wears. Big First big win of his career because when I tell you what his salary was for that week for fantasy purposes, I think you're going to be pretty surprised that Bryson DeChambeau was as cheap as he was, but that was kind of the coming out party for Bryson. Jason Duffner, 13 under par in 2017, and Jordan Spieth in, in, in 2016. So you're talking about a six-year stretch where Cantlay's won twice, John Rahm has found victory, Bryson, Speeth, and then Jason Duffner. And obviously, 2017 version of Jason Duffner was a lot better than 2022 version of Jason Duffner. So we have seen a lot of really good players, a lot of really good ball strikers, a lot of talented guys able to tame Mirfield Village. winning scores. 9 to 15 under, something like that. It's challenging. There's going to be thick rough. It's going to be difficult to go super low. And of course, we'll talk about that renovation in just one second. Another invitational. So two two straight weeks of this. Charles Schwab Challenge, that's 120 golfers. I believe the purse was 8.4 million bucks. What do we get this week? 120 golfers, invitation only, huge increase in the purse. 12 million Dollars, The largest regular season non-major purse left. This is it. This is it. You're going to have major championships that have purses that are similar to this. The playoff event's obviously going to be jacked up in terms of the cash that's given out, but this is the largest regular season non-major purse remaining. $2.1 million up top. It's important because when you start considering your final chances for big money in one and done situations the obvious answers are always going to be majors they're always going to be the playoff events uh don't forget this one this one got a big this is actually one of the events that got injected with a ton of money I believe the Arnold Palmer Invitational was the other one that got injected with a ton of money as one of the first lines of defense in the Saudi League Which, uh, by the time you're listening to this, I think there's a decent chance that we know who will be playing in the first event of the Live Golf Invitational in London. Uh, I believe that information is going to come out this week. We'll see. By the time you're listening to this, you probably already know. But this was... An injection of the tour, not only raising this purse, raising the Arnold Palmer Invitational Purse, the Players' Championship, the Tour Championship, just everything, just incentives to stay here, incentives to give the stars the most money. And I'll tell you what, kind of worked, right? We don't know who's going to end up going to play on another tour. We kind of have an idea of who those names are going to be. We kind of have an idea of who has requested waivers to go play but it appears that the PGA Tour has retained all of its stars, which this purse increase, the tour championship money, could certainly be attributed attributed to that. Other storylines for this week: uh, John Rom's revenge. Does John Rom just come out here and say, uh, "You owe me one, right?" Golf gods owe me one here. This this event was really the difference between probably John Rom winning. The FedEx Cup and Patrick Cantlay winning the FedEx Cup last year. Because if we assume that John Rahm does not blow a six shot lead, he gets all the FedEx Cup points to, I believe, uh, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that would have made him number one going into the tour championship. And now, when you go back and look at those results, obviously the event could have played out differently, knowing what the starting strokes were. But Rom, who I believe started fifth, uh, would have overtaken Patrick Cantlay. Or wouldn't have needed to overtake Patrick Cantlay if he started in first. So there's a chance that this event last year was the pivotal moment in not only deciding our FedEx Cup champion, but in turn, because Patrick Cantlay was then our FedEx Cup champion, it was likely that that pushed him over the edge for Player of the Year. That was this moment. Does John Rom come back to a place he's already won at? Find some revenge and go out and win this golf tournament. He's kind of owed it. Uh, does Sean Rom blow a six-shot lead? That's always the one thing that I thought was fun. It's, 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 it would have been very unlikely for anybody to blow a six-shot lead, let alone John Rahm. But since then, we saw, we saw Russell Henley blow a five-shot lead uh, in a round, I believe, later in the year. We saw Mito Pereira recently. It wasn't five shots, but he had like a three- or four-shot lead on Sunday at the PGA Championship. Obviously, those guys are not the caliber of golf of John Rom, but I always found it interesting that we were so willing to just hand him that one. And every comment that we made about John Rom after this event happened last year was, well, he's owed one more win. Patrick can't lay like, subtract one from his total. It's a, it's a bizarre situation. Will Bryson be back? So we've already talked about this. And uh he played multiple practice rounds at the PGA championship, decided not worth it to tee it up. He's got the the big scar on his hand after the wrist surgery, so that's still healing. We are getting a significant increase in volume of Bryson Instagram posts, which are always fun. He's swinging every club. He's outside. He's got the GC quad set up. He's rocking and rolling. He's won this event before. Logical that this is where Bryson makes his return, and he needs to if he wants to play deep into this schedule, which, by the way, Can we just sit back and appreciate the schedule that we have on this PGA Tour? The last couple of weeks. So, how about this? Wells Fargo Championship, a couple weeks ago. We went to TPC Potomac. We got a great test, right? That was not necessarily an awesome field, but a great test of golf where Max Homa came out on top. Then we went to the AT&T Byron Nelson, which was a stacked field because everyone was playing their way into the PGA championship. It did not create a prolific winner, but K.H. Lee defends his title, something that I think few people saw coming considering the fact he was 100-1. to K.H. Lee successfully defends his title at TPC Craig Ranch. Then we roll into a PGA championship that starts slow and ends up being one of the best majors you could imagine. Justin Thomas comes from behind. Mito Pereira melts down on Sunday. Will Zalatoris battles it out in a playoff. Everything you could imagine from a major championship comes true at the PGA Championship. We are still recovering from that, and we've got an unbelievable set of events coming up. Charles Schwab Challenge, an invitational, which we're in right now. Great field there. Memorial, invitational. Jack's event, great field there. RBC Canadian, we're going back to Canada for the first time. Have you seen the guys that have already committed to Canada? Justin Thomas, Roy McElroy, just to name a few. It's going to be absolutely stacked. And then, as if that wasn't enough, we go to Brookline for the U.S. Open, the country club. This is like a six or seven week stretch that you could argue. Like, I'd argue this is the best stretch of the season. Uh, A lot of people will want to argue something that includes the Masters. A lot of people will argue something at the beginning of the year. I love the stretch of Farmers, you know, you go to Torrey Pines, Pebble Beach, Scottsdale, Riviera. That's awesome. That's a great stretch. But talking about the field strength, talking about the amount of money on the line, two major championships. This is it. This is the best stretch of golf, and we're right in the heart of it. We're certainly not going to take it for granted. When Jack puts on his event, uh, everyone shows up. So, as we spoke about last week, as I record this, I don't know who is officially in the field of 120, but I know who has committed to play in this event. And just scrolling through some of these names will give you goosebumps here. Patrick Cantley, obviously, back to defend his title. Matt Fitzpatrick, who I think he's number one in strokes gained total on the PGA Tour season. Doesn't have a win to show for it, but Matt Fitzpatrick back in action. Max Homa, Victor Hovland, I've heard of those guys. Hideki will be back in action. Rory McIlroy's going to tee it up alongside Colin Morikawa and Joaquin Neiman. I'm not even close to done. John Rahm, Xander Schauffele, Cam Smith, Jordan Spieth, Will Zalatoris. Have I said enough? The strength of field... Of this event last year was 602. Uh, 602 would be the seventh best field of this season. So I imagine when the final field gets released, when the official field comes out, when we start the event, if anybody ends up WDing, uh, we are going to be similar to that 602 strength of field, which means we are currently in, it's probably going to be like the seventh or eighth best field best field of the year. So it's absolutely stacked. Now, the best part about this from a data perspective is that because we always get Meerfield Village, because we always get a similar field, because we haven't moved, we're always generally in the same time frame of the year, um, we have great data on it, right? So the best players at Mirfield Village, no surprise, John Rahm is here. Now, he's only played nine rounds because he's got the missed cut in 2017. Didn't play it again until 2020, which he won. And then uh, if you go to my website, so if you go to rickrungood.com, I have the strokes gain numbers from the three rounds that John Rahm played. A lot of places, so it's weird. When the the PGA Tour sends data, sometimes they will send it like if a guy withdraws, it's like he never existed. It's like he didn't play those rounds. So a lot of times it'll just be like nothing across the board. I've got the round-by-round data here. John Rom gained 21 strokes to the field in 2021 in three rounds. It's unheard of. It's ungodly. He gained nine strokes on approach in three rounds. It's disgusting. Um, so he's got those nine rounds, 3.82. Patrick Cantlay, no surprise, he's number two here. 2.78 over the course of 20 rounds. Scotty Scheffler. This is the year where every single thing you click – Every single thing you filter, every single, every single thing you sort, Scotty Scheffler's name comes to the top. Uh, I mean, again, it's early on a, on a Thursday at the Charles Schwab Challenge, Scotty Scheffler's name near the top of the leaderboard. Again, it's just, it, it's like constantly all I do is see this guy's name. T-22, third place finish in his two trips. We're going to talk a lot about Matt Kuchar. Uh, Matt has played this event a lot. 46 rounds dating back to 2008, gaining over two and a quarter strokes per round. That's a win. It's a couple more top 10s, a handful more top 15s. Really, really strong stuff. Colin Morikawa back in action. Justin Rose, those are some of the notables who have gotten themselves around Mirfield Village uh, well very often. Now, let's let's continue down this path here. When you start to get to fields this strong, Uh, you start to get into rarefied air. You start to get into situations where like there might only be eight fields that are are this strong or there might only be 10 fields that are this strong. So what I'm going to actually do is I'm going to go back to 2008 and I'm going to look at the best golfers in fields where the strength of field is 600 or more strength of field. I get asked about this a lot. This is an OWGR official world golf rankings calculation. It is all available on their website. There is nothing really proprietary to me in this situation. They've already done the legwork. They've done the calculations. They are comparing the types of golfers in all of their home tours, how they play. They're assigning it the methodology on their strength of field. Uh, It's on their website. So if you want to learn how they calculate it, feel free that's available to you. It is all on their site. I like using strength of field because let's be honest, uh, the world of golf, there's a huge difference between what guys do on the corn Ferry tour, what guys do uh, on the DP world tour versus what guys do at even an average PGA tour event or an event like this, which is really jacked up with all the best players. It's just completely different worlds. So being able to see Who finds success at these events is really the reason I created that weighted strokes gain number. It's because you've got to be able to compare one golfer to another across different fields, across different tours. 600 or better in strength of field. Do I want to do, that's a lot of rounds. Um, Let me see this real quick. How far back do I want to actually go here? Yeah, okay, that's fine. We'll go back to 2008. Uh, John Rahm's number one. Is that like any surprise at all that John Rahm is number one? Roy McElroy, number two. Uh, Will Zalatoris in a much smaller sample size is right behind Dustin Johnson here. Dustin Johnson is not going to tee it up. And then, oh, by the way, uh, the next golfer on that list, Scotty Scheffler, another name that continues to pop up. So no surprise. And it's why I think what you'll notice is <clears throat> when, you get, uh, when you get tough fields, when you get tough golf courses, the cream rises to the top. Eventually. And that's what we often see. And it's why if you go back and look at the leaderboard, can't lay Rom, can't lay DeChambeau, Duffner, Spieth. Duffner is a little bit of an outlier, but let's be real, Duffner was way better then uh than he is now. <clears throat> Excuse me. Muirfield Village is the golf course. Par seventy-two, seventy five hundred and forty-three yards. Uh thick rough and weather dependent, right? So kind of what you saw last week in Fort Worth is they had uh gotten a ton of rain in the days before and that thick rough becomes kind of even gnarlier wet rough is grabs the club it adds a lot more variables to to the situation um so it'll be a little bit weather dependent but you're generally going to get that thick rough around Mirfield Village and the the notable thing is that there was uh the redesign in 2020 again i i will never have this picture out of my mind the leaders on Sunday are playing the back nine and Jack is ripping up the front nine. It's like, I've never seen anything like it. Like, did you really need to do that with like three hours of sunlight left or two hours of sunlight left? Or could you not wait till tomorrow morning? It's it's like, it was savage, quite honestly, to go out and, and uh, start ripping up the golf course while players were still on it. So that was done in 2020. We have one year worth of, of data on that, which I'm going to pull up uh, here in just one second. There we go. So we do have one year worth of data on 2021. The notable changes, they added 153 yards, which over 18 holes, not that big of a deal, but they've got some new tee boxes, which create kind of different angles, different ways to attack these holes. And there are um, five brand new greens And every other green was recontoured, some more than others, which is why this is the time to kind of run into rabbit holes and see what kind of weird and and wacky stuff we can find. The biggest change you'll see is 37 yards that were added to the par 5 15th. That's where the vast majority of the added yardage went to to make that hole a little bit longer, play better to the modern longer golfer. When you have a golf course on the schedule that generally gets the same field or the same caliber of field, that generally plays the same, and then you do something like add five new greens and recontour all of them, I think it is noteworthy. And I think that we can use a little bit of data and hopefully – roll it forward to learn more all those guys that think about this if you played Mirfield village and you took all the notes and you had all the everything in your head these guys that one of the big differences that you get from the best pga tour players versus a lot of other guys is is almost like a photographic memory we hear this from a lot of guys they can remember a lot of shots that they hit they can remember uh, a lot of putts that they hit and if it broke in a way that they were expecting it to or it did not and when you kind of change that on them, there is, there's a learning curve. And I think that's what we might have seen in 2021 and we might see it as well in 2022 because I went back and I pulled the numbers. This is admittedly probably pretty wonky, but I pulled the numbers pre-greens recontoured, and post-greens being recontoured. So you're talking about 2020 and prior, and then the four or two rounds, 2021, uh, to see the biggest differences. And this is super, super wonky stuff here. But for example, in the four rounds that Colin Morakow played in 2020, he lost two strokes putting per round. In the four rounds he played in 2021, he gained a stroke and a half. So you're talking about a three and a half stroke per round difference. Doc Redmond was a big winner. Adam Long, big winner. Uh, Adam Hadwin. Missed the cut, but big winner on the putting greens. So I'll release this data. Uh, I'll tweet it out so that you can take a look at some of the names that are on here, like Max Homa and John Rahm and JT Post. And Rahm was actually a a gainer before and a big gainer after. Uh, Whether this means anything to you or not, that's that's for you to decide. But I'll make this data available and you can have at it. But I do think that um, looking at this information, getting... One of the, I mean, this has got to be one of the bigger changes. I mean, Jack's been noted for always tinkering, right? I think since he built it, every hole has been redone in some way or another. Every hole has been touched, but this is a pretty significant one. To one, a uh, pr- pretty significant redesign to one aspect of the golf course, which is the putting greens. The other thing that's going to come up this week, um, <clears throat> Jack Nicklaus is known for golf courses that tend to benefit the power fate which is like what he hit right which is also kind of a savage thing to do is just start building golf courses that would have fit your game which is what michael jordan did by the way the grove 23 in florida when michael bought that golf course or built that golf course and the the stories that you hear about it it was built for michael jordan and no one else which is so dirty and it's like however far he hits the ball you know let's say he hits the ball 260 yards very wide fairways to 260 and then they just get teeny tiny so that guys that are longer than him uh are playing out of the rough more often it it's like a fascinating thing to do if you have a billion dollars and want to build your own golf course and you want to bet on all your with all your friends and all these other guys and that are better than you at golf is you just make the golf course exactly beneficial to you it's amazing stuff but uh there there is that design bias Traditionally for Jack. So you can talk about guys that uh hit a power fade. There's obviously there's a lot of anecdotal evidence of that, right? Guys like Dustin Johnson that liked it to fade. Guys like John Rom that hit that little cut. Colin Morikawa likes to hit that little baby cut. Um, who have had success at this course. Like it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I think we're we're in a world where we are probably five years away, uh, hopefully less, uh, from getting more trajectory based data from the PGA tour if you've noticed uh behind every tee box now are the huge Trackman systems TrackMen? Trackmans Trackman systems I don't know what the plural is Trackman behind every single tee box and they're the huge ones they're not the little guys they're the big boys and they're capturing all that data now and it's going somewhere and I it is not part of the official PGA tour API yet but I imagine It's going to be, and we're going to get a lot more information because I get asked this a lot about, hey, who hits a draw? Who hits a fade? And it's like, yeah, that data is somewhat available. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence. Like, oh, Patrick Reed loves to hit a draw, right? Give me those front left pin positions or back left pin positions. Like, that's Patrick Reed all day. Um, You know, Zalators likes to hit a draw or can hit a draw off the tee. Things like that, right? It's just It's a lot of anecdotal stuff. I believe what we're going to get in the next five years is – the cold hard data on it, uh, which right now it's a bit flawed and right now it's a bit wonky. Some other trends. The last four winners of this event, um, Patrick Cantlay, we mentioned, he was $9,500 on draft kicks. John Rahm was $9,300. Patrick Cantlay was $10,200. And Bryson, DeChambeau, when he won this event, was $7,700. Remember that because that was like, who's this guy going to be? He's this nerdy guy who played well in college and he's doing some weird stuff. What is he going to be? And we didn't know yet. And $7,700 is probably the last time you saw a price like that on Bryson DeChambeau. Um, But for the most part, I think we can all agree. The top of the board is where the winner is likely to come from. $9,000 and up is likely where the winner is going to come from. Even Bryson and who knows what Bryson's price is going to be, right? Bryson was at some books 100 to 1 for the Charles Schwab Challenge. Now he didn't end up playing. Is he going to be 80 to 1? Is he going to be 40 to 1 because he's a past champion? Whatever his odds are, it's going to dictate what his salary is going to be. So maybe he's 8,200. Maybe he's 8,000. I don't think he's going to rival 7,700. That's going to be probably never to be seen again, but interested to see. Around the green, strokes gained around the green, the fourth most correlated stat to success at Mirfield Village. And I should clarify, that means there's only three other courses on the PGA Tour in which strokes gained around the green is more correlated to success. It does not mean that the winner that week was great around the green, which I think is a flawed way to look at it. Because when you start looking at What did the winner do well? The answer is always everything, or they putted well, or they dominated in one category. It's a flawed way to look at it. So, the way that I run the model is you look at the uh, season long skill sets of all of these golfers, and then you start to see which golfers played well at what courses, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and you start to build profiles and molds of golfers that have success at different golf courses. So the around the green players have had success more often than not at Mirrorfield Village, even if they did not use that stat that week. Last 24 rounds, Matt Kuchar, Matt Jones, Chris Kirk, Roy McIlroy are basically the guys that you're going to see in the field or likely to see in the field who have played well around the green. Um, Kuchar, we already talked about. In 46 rounds dating back to 2008, he's gained over two and a quarter strokes per round. Easily his best course on the PGA Tour. Easily, by far, not even close. Matt Jones, this one's a little bit wonky, but you could, uh, it's definitely flyer status where some of his better finishes, he doesn't have a lot of top finishes, but some of his better finishes are on difficult golf courses. Think about his win, the 2021 Honda Classic. PGA National, very difficult golf course. He had a third place finish at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. He's finished sixth, at this event, he doesn't have a lot of really high-end finishes, but the ones that he seems to have do come often enough on hard golf courses. Chris Kirk and Rory McIlroy have been awesome. Um, I'm very interested to see what Chris Kirk does, and I can kind of check this real quick. Uh, what Chris Kirk does at the Charles Schwab Challenge, because there's a chance he's very, very popular for this week's memorial, which like, I, I, like I'm I a believer. Chris Kirk's been awesome. He's going to a place where his skill set probably pans out. I, I think you could get a very popular Chris Kirk for this week. So let's put a bow on this with um, a couple of early predictions. So looking back at my notes from last week, one of the things that I was super big on was Harold Varner III. Uh, I'm hoping that pans out. Not only for all of us, but for research, for my wallet, but for research. Let's hope Harold Varner III pans out. A couple of early predictions, and we'll see how the week goes for DFS purposes, ownership. We don't have the official field yet, so bear with me on this one. I think Patrick Cantlay gets right. Okay, And it's really hard to argue that Patrick Cantlay hasn't been right. Because he has seven top 10 finishes in his last 13 starts. It doesn't feel that way. It never feels like Patrick Cantlay's playing well enough. Because he's so talented, because we've seen the upside, because because we've seen him pile up trophies, seven top 10 finishes in the last 13 feels impossible. It's true. I think the best way to kind of invest in Patrick Cantlay is you're always with him or you're always against him and outside of major championships he's been awesome but it's hard to it's hard to get patrick cantley right which means you're either a believer and you know he's going to win once or twice a year or maybe he has a pga tour player of the year season and he wins four times a year but i think trying to time him is a little bit of a fool's errand so i'm generally a believer in patrick cantley and he's going to a place that he's been phenomenal at all the top 10s like in a vacuum without having any emotion on it. Patrick Cantlay should get right. And then talking about Chris Kirk, he's been playing great. Um, He's putting much better. He's been stout around the greens. This should be one of the best spots for him. Hopefully, the scenario is he finishes like T12 at the Charles Schwab Challenge, and we can continue to be excited about Chris Kirk because I'm excited about him right now. The other thing that I would find interesting, uh, and we're going to have to be quick on this, if Monday comes around and Bryson DeChambeau is eighty to one, I think I'm in, right? And it's the only market I probably want to get access to is the outright market on Bryson. Maybe even sixty to one, I'd be interested. I mean, there's gonna have, they're gonna have to build on the fact that he's won here before, so maybe it's sixty. We can make a couple of guesses and assumptions here from what we know about Bryson and from what we know about his stats. Um, He's been horrible this year. Now, the argument is the reason that he's been horrible is that he's been injured. That's a pretty easy assumption to make. If the injury is fixed, is the game fixed? That's also not that big of a stretch. It's not that big of a leap to take. If the game is fixed, he shouldn't be 60, 80 or 100 to 1, right? That like these are these are not huge leaps I'm making. Um, we've seen him po- the good, the good thing, good and bad thing about Bryson, he's very active on social media. We've seen the swings, we've seen the numbers. He looks pretty fit. He's talking about his endurance getting that up for four days, but he seems pretty fit. The the swing looks pretty good. If he's willing to go out there and, and take a crack at it, this is one of the better spots on tour for him. So, we often talk a lot about whether we're going to be early or late on golfers. And Gary Woodland, Ricky Fowler have uh fallen firmly into the be late category. I think Webb Simpson has fallen into the be early category, and I believe that um I believe that Bryson DeChambeau falls into the be early category. Because it's not difficult to see a scenario in which He is healthy and he is back to being Bryson, which I'd be excited for because we're heading into a time of year where, um, you know, Bryson gets healthy. Bryson gets to go to a U.S. Open venue. Bryson gets to take a crack at St. Andrews. Like, we've got to have him around. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. So uh, I'm excited to see how it all plays out. I'm excited to see how the Charles Schwab Challenge uh, finishes and then we will roll directly into a great week of content for the memorial with the DFS preview on Monday, a you know live shows on Tuesday and Wednesday and all that fun stuff along the way. This has been another episode of 300 Yards to Unnote. Catch you next time.